0: Good morning. I hope everybody's had a good week and uh, enjoyed the pretty day we had yesterday and uh, hopefully today. I appreciate Brother Tim's request to say a prayer for he and I as we try to preach or Brother Neil or whoever may be up here preaching. Preaching is an interesting thing. Sometimes you feel like the Lord really blesses you when you preach and you know the goal I guess of a preacher one is most... First and foremost is to glorify God and to preach his word. But you hope that, as the Bible says, that you can preach in power and demonstration of the spirit so that you can, through the the message that the Lord gives you, have some sort of influence over the sheep that are hearing it. You know, maybe to encourage them, maybe to uh, help, maybe change the way they look at some things. Or uh, there's a lot of different reasons to preach. But sometimes a preacher may stand up here and he just does not feel great liberty and almost like you are having to force the words out. And there are other times that you feel like the Lord is just guiding your thoughts. And so why sometimes we feel like uh, we have good liberty and why we sometimes we don't, I don't exactly know how all that works. I think there are different reasons for it. But um, I think one of those can certainly be that the Lord may bless a man to preach because the people of the congregation have been asking him to do that all week long. So don't ever forget to pray for for the guys that stand up and preach because we sure need it. We're just people... Like everybody else. So I appreciate him saying that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you will turn to Romans, the eighth chapter for just a moment. Romans, the eighth chapter, that's a place that we preach out of pretty regularly. I don't know that I've ever preached on this specific verse, but I want to try to, if the Lord will bless me today In Romans, the eighth chapter, and I'm going to take one verse out of here in verse 31, it says this it says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? It's a very common place that a child of God may find uh, him or herself in. And that is a place where you feel greatly outnumbered and you feel like there is a great multitude against you. Maybe not as an individual, but maybe just as a church uh, the church itself or just in our society, the child of God often finds himself, if he's walking in the way that he should, finds himself feeling like he is alone, feeling like there are few with him and that everybody else out there is against him. And that's easy to see in our society sometimes. Uh, sometimes maybe I let my thoughts get the best of me. And, you know, you just look at the, the uh, direction that our nation is going. You look at how uh, much godlessness is out there you look at uh, how little interest there is inside the church and you think to yourself what can one little country church out in the middle of Ecole, alabama how in the world can we make any influence or how can we stand against such a mass multitude of people that care nothing about the lord you may not ever feel that way but i feel that way a lot I feel like there's just, a, uh, the, you know, the powers of darkness, their armies are just growing and strengthening in numbers. And, you know, in the evidence of that is over the years, you know, as we've taken God out of schools, taken prayer out of schools and abortion rates are skyrocketing, divorce rates are skyrocketing. Uh, the, the content on the television is getting worse and worse and worse. You just feel like everything is against us, right? And that's a common place for a child of God to be in. You think about maybe Jonah, uh, when Jonah is about to go into Nineveh. Can you imagine how that guy felt? you got to remember that Nineveh is a wicked, wicked nation. And God tells Jonah, I need you to go in there and preach to him. Because I can just imagine as he gets to the gates of that city, I would be sweating and wringing my hands and thinking, I'm the only guy this conviction to walk in here and be representing the Lord. He's not thinking I'm going to walk in here and I'm going to walk in this street and I'm going to start preaching and and I'm going to go down this street because I've heard there's a lot of good people and children of God on this street. He went in there and the whole city was going to be against him. What about Jeremiah? You know, Jeremiah preaches and preaches and preaches and preaches and everybody seems to be against him. And that's a, a common place for even the apostles. When you read about, um, when you read through maybe the book of Acts and the Acts of the Apostles, what you don't read is 12,000 disciples of Christ went into this city of 200 and it was 12,000 preaching to 200. What you find is it would be a handful of God's people going out and teaching and preaching against a, a mass of people that usually did not like what they were hearing. That's why everywhere they went, they were beaten, thrown into prison. So it's common for us to feel like we're small in number and everything is against us. Uh, a good uh, for our um, our weekly Lord of the Rings analogy. If, if Brother Tim's not going to give you one, I'm going to give you one. Amen. There's a place in the Lord of the Rings that I think about this every time I watch it. There's a time in Lord of the Rings when there's a king and they have uh, the king and his little city and all the, the good guys have been uh, backed into the corner of this mountain in a little little stronghold there. And the armies of evil are coming to that stronghold to overtake them. And there's a scene in that movie where all the good guys are standing on the edge of the wall, backed into a corner, knowing the only way we're going to win this is to fight our way out. There is no retreating. And they stand there. And it's raining and it's dark. And as the lightning flashes, it shows the evil armies that are coming to them. And they are as far as the eye can see. And uh, you got these, you know, just a handful of people, you know, maybe maybe two or three hundred standing in this stronghold looking at thousands upon thousands coming after them. And just the look on their faces is a look of defeat. It's a look of there's no way we can win this. There's too many that are against us. And the army comes in and, and they start to invade and they pretty much do what you expect them to do for a long period of time. And they, they kill a lot of the good guys. And they're backed into the very last little hole they can get into and hide. And it's the king and just a handful of men there with him. And the look of defeat is, is, uh, is very easy to see on the king's face. And this is what the king says. says, He says, what can men do against such reckless hate? And every time I see that part, I think about God's people throughout the Bible that probably felt that way. Like, I wonder if Jonah walked into Nineveh and said, what can one man do against all of this evil? What can one little church in Echola do against all of the evil that's in our nation? What can I do as an individual against all of the evil in our nation? And our tendency is to think, well, you just can't do anything. You know, if you remember last time that Brother Tim preached, last week I believe it was, one of the verses he used was out of Isaiah, the 42nd chapter, talking to Jesus. He says, a a smoking flax he shall not quench. Now, smoking flax, as Brother Tim mentioned to you, just imagine a little smoldering candle wick. Maybe that's been, you know, have you ever blown a candle out? And the fire's gone out, but if you'll, if you'll, as uh, soon as, it, and it starts smoking, right? As soon as you blow a candle out, it starts smoking. Still probably hot to the touch. Still could probably be ignited again if you just blew a little gentle air on it. But that's a smoking flax. Just a nothing. Right. No impact. No heat coming off of it. It's, and sometimes we feel like that. Right. We feel like I'm just a little tiny smoking flax in a world that is a flood. You know, in the book of Revelations... I'll flip over, there to you, uh, flip over there for you just to say, uh, so you don't have to. In the book of Revelations, in, in chapter 15, I believe it is, I'm sorry, chapter 12. In chapter 12, you see a picture of, you know, we think about the flood in the Bible, right? You think, oh, Noah and the ark and the flood and all that stuff. There's another flood that's talked about in the Bible, but it's a flood that comes from Satan. Right. And it says this, and when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, sounds a lot like the devil, Right? He persecuted the woman, which is the church of God, which brought forth the man child, which is Jesus. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place. That's a That'd be another sermon for another day. But the Lord protects his church where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. All right. So you notice this here. You've got the church of God delivered away from this dragon um, by the, by the mercies of God. And Satan and his hatred and anger is trying everything he can do to whatever fire the church has is to just smash it and put it out and quench it. And it says the serpent cast out his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Now, think about that. On one hand, you've got God's people at times feel like a smoking flax, like I am nothing. And on the other side, you've got Satan that is ready to drown and quench whatever flax is out there. But then you've got the God of heaven saying, you're not going to quench the smoking flax. Now, sometimes we feel like smoking flax. Sometimes we feel like the king backed into that corner and we feel hopeless and say, what can men do against such evil that is out there? And if you don't think there's evil out there, trust me, there, there, there is. There are people that if the law passed today, that you could kill everybody that professed Christ, they couldn't get to you fast enough. There's evil out there. Now, the verse I started with, it says, If God be for us, who can be against us? That lets me know this, that there are people that are against the Lord and His church. And they are led by Satan, who is ready to open his mouth and send a flood to 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 quench us all. So I want to look at just a few people in the Bible here, very quickly, just to show you and to encourage you that if the Lord is for us, then nobody can be against us. And I'm going to go through these very quickly. In uh, um, the first uh, First Kings, the 18th chapter, one of my favorite accounts of the Bible. You ever wonder, like, why did the Lord give us all these accounts in the Bible, these, these stories in the Old Testament? Why did he give us those? I mean, uh, I, I absolutely believe every single one of them happened as the Bible tells us they did. It's because we can relate to them to some degree or another. And I don't have time to go through all of these in great detail. But if you remember in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, you've got uh, the wicked king Ahab, all of his prophets, false prophets, evil prophets, and, and all the things that he's doing. He is part of the flood. He's part of the flood that is trying to quench whatever smoking flax may be out there. And then you've got old Elijah over here. Pretty much in the eyes of society, he is a nobody. And there's a great competition that comes about. And the Lord strengthens Elijah and he tells Elijah, basically, it is time to see where my people stand. And this is how I'm going to do it. And so Elijah calls Ahab and he says, we're going to have a contest. And everybody's very familiar with this. He says, I want you to, want you to bring two bullocks, and we're going to make two altars. And we're going to take one bullock. You get the choice, Ahab. Your prophets get first choice. You take the bullock, You slay it. You lay it on the altar. And you're going to call on Baal to come ignite that fire. And I'll let you go first. And they do that. They cut the bullock up, they lay it, and they begin, uh, if I remember right, from early that morning to late in the afternoon. They weep and wail and roll around and cry. Their sincerity is unparalleled, but sincerity doesn't always mean anything, right? They cut theirself, crying out. And, you know, know, I love it when what I call Old Testament trash talk, where Elijah begins to mock them. Maybe Baal's asleep. Maybe he's pursuing somebody. Maybe he's going over here or over there. And all day long, they just Elijah just stands there. Can you imagine? I would have got tired of waiting. I would have got tired of being like, all right, it's, it's, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, no fire. 11 o'clock, I'm getting hungry, no fire. All day. And then finally, Elijah takes his and he repairs the altar of the Lord. He lays the bullock upon the altar. And just to prove, Romans 8, 31, just to validate that if God is for you, nothing can be against you. Nothing can prevail against you. He takes water and he pours it on top of the altar. I think it was 12 different barrels he poured it so much so that they dug a little trench around it. and The trench filled up with water. What is against fire? Water. It is the the arch enemy of fire. And so he's, he's doing this to prove the point that I'm putting everything on this altar that will be against what I'm trying to do. And then he prays and he calls on the Lord. Now picture you standing there. I've tried to imagine what this would be like in my mind. Imagine standing there. The altar's wet. The bleeding scabbed over prophets of Baal are worn out. Standing over here probably huffing and puffing. Some of the people are probably standing there thinking, you know what? Another eight hours of this. And Elijah's standing over here. Now, Elijah's a strong prophet of God and a greater man than I'll ever be, because I can tell you how I would have been. I'd have been wringing my hands. My faith would have been weak, like, Lord, don't leave me out here looking like a dummy. But Elijah prays. And can you imagine Elijah Elijah being there praying? Maybe it's, it's total silence over everybody that's there. It gets very quiet. And Elijah begins to pray, and all eyes are on that altar. And all of a sudden, maybe you hear like a crackling up in the sky. I don't know how it happened. A crackling up in the sky, maybe like thunder, maybe like lightning. I don't know. Maybe like a firecracker. And all of a sudden, fire comes down and lights that wet, soaking, dripping altar. Don't you think Elijah would have been able to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Elijah stood there with 850 prophets that were against him. Water was against him. The king was against him. The king's wife was really against him. But yet God was on his side. And Elijah came out of there glorifying God and seeing God do a mighty work. What about um, Gideon? You can read about Gideon in Judges, the sixth chapter. Gideon goes to war. Gideon is not a soldier. Gideon is not a a great military man. Gideon's just a regular old guy. And God says, Gideon, and this is the short version, Gideon, you're going to take 300 men and you're going to go fight an army of the Midianites and the Amalekites. And they, as the Bible says, they are like the sands of the seashore and they are without number. That means there were so many of them, you couldn't even count them. 300 men Gideon has no military training he's just a nobody and they go in there the Lord tells them what he wants them to do he doesn't say set up snipers and let's do this and come around and get on their flank and all this military stuff he says I want you to go 300 here 300 I mean 100 here 100 here and 100 there You're not going to have weapons. You're going to have a lamp and you're going to have a a pitcher to cover that lamp with. And we're going to surround them 300 men against a number that can't be numbered. And when I blow the trumpet, we're going to take that pitcher off, smash it to the ground, say the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon and hold your lamp up. And when they did that, I wondered what that sounded like. With those voices shouting and with the pitchers breaking and with the breath of God blowing across that wicked army. I don't know what it was, but they got up and left. And they never even had to draw a sword right then. See, if God is for us, 300 against a number that no man can number is not a big deal. Right? Amen. But sometimes we feel like Gideon. Sometimes we feel like Elijah. I'm sure we feel like Jonah. I'm sure we feel like Jeremiah. Jeremiah. A lot of these guys at times felt so alone and that everybody was against them they asked the Lord to kill them. You know Elijah, he had a excuse me, he had a good moment. He had a good moment there with the prophets of Baal and all the fire, but very shortly after that, do you know he's pouting to God? Hiding, saying, "Oh, I'm the only one left." So what, Elijah? If you're the only one left, Did you see what the Lord just did? Do you not think the Lord can deliver you and strengthen you? Let me give you one more here. I want you to think about Jesus for just a moment. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, right? The Bible says that he's not a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Uh, You know, the Lord was not capable of sin, but the Lord felt emotion like we feel it. He understood what we feel when we feel it. He knows. He's compassionate towards us. So I want you to think about the Son of God. And I want you to think about, did he ever feel like everybody was against him and it was just multitudes against him? And what can I do? Well, he's in the garden, right? Surrounded by some of his best friends. Surely they'll stay with me. He's been hated all throughout his ministry by most people. Many times they tried to kill him, and it was only the power of God that delivered him. And here he is right before the cross with his people that are faithful and have even told him, I will never leave you, I'll die for you. And then in an instant, as the soldiers come to get him, even the most faithful leave. One of the most faithful of the faithful very shortly says, I don't even know the man. And he got so mad about people associating him with Jesus. He began to cuss at him. And Jesus saw that and he heard that because the Bible says he looked on Peter and Peter wept bitterly. You think Jesus felt alone? Do you think he felt like everybody was against him? My apostles have left. The disciples have left. I'm standing here and anybody that really knows me and has followed me and ever uh, worshiped me is gone and cussing people out because they think they say they know me. Can you can you feel the hatred that it took to put Jesus on the cross? I mean, that is hatred of a man when really they could prove nothing. If you read through the trials that Jesus went through, they couldn't prove anything. They couldn't even, they had to make up lies about him. Everybody's against him. Now, this is the worst part of it to me, <clears throat> as they nail him to a cross. And, and they, they stand that cross up, and from a physical standpoint, it, it was something I can't imagine. But the Bible talks about in those moments, you know, the, that, the, that, the, um, that darkness came, <clears throat> that the Lord poured out his wrath... For the sins of, 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 of the Lord's people on Jesus. And so we were, the Bible even says, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. So I think of it this way sometimes. You know, sometimes the Bible describes Satan's weapon as fiery darts. We like to play darts. We've got a little dartboard <clears throat> at home, and we go out there and we play darts, you know, and and you know, it doesn't take very much to stick them in something. And Satan's fiery darts, sometimes I imagine. The Lord laying uh, hanging on the cross there and everybody has abandoned him. And not only has everybody abandoned him, but the Lord is fixing to pour out. God Almighty is fixing to pour his wrath out on Jesus just to make matters worse. And I don't know how that played out. But in my imagination, there came a time that I stood up there before the Lord and I had just a basket full of fiery darts. And every one of those darts represented my sin. And I stand there, and poof, one after another, bam, bam, bam. And then it's your turn. Bam, bam. And the Bible says by the time that they got done doing what they did to Jesus, he didn't even look like a man. God, the Lord, Jesus, his friends were against him. the Bible even says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. No man has ever felt as alone as the Lord did hanging on that cross, right? Amen. The devil himself laughing and mocking and jeering at him. The demons probably rejoicing death standing there laughing as this man hangs there alone. But Romans eight thirty one says, what if God is for us, who can be against us? And so three days after he was laid in the tomb. And he comes out of the tomb. He came out victorious. He's a picture of the fire that came down and consumed the altar. He's a picture of Gideon in the lamps and destroying an army that was that when they were way outnumbered. The Lord, not only the Bible tells us, did he defeat death when he came out of that grave? The Bible tells us he offered himself for the sins of his people and the Lord accepted that. And he defeated everything that we thought was defeating him. Because when God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Now, let me leave you with this as I close here. There are times that I feel like the king backed up into that corner. And I thank God our nation has turned against you. There are wicked people just running amok. Laws are being changed. And, Lord, very soon we probably won't even be able to speak your name in public. We won't be able to profess you. You think that's not coming? I feel like, I feel like it's coming. And, Lord, what can we do against such reckless hate? We're just little smoking flax. Lord, sometimes I pray to the Lord, Lord, my zeal feels like that little smoking flax. Like my zeal for you, my zeal for this, my zeal for the church, my zeal for your word, my zeal for preaching. Sometimes you just feel like, oh, I just feel like a smoking flax. And there I look down the road and there's a flood from Satan coming trying to quench that. One of the things that Paul says, this is very encouraging to me, he says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When Elijah stood there and all these people are against him. In the sight of men, he was weak, and I bet he felt weak. But that was when he was the strongest. Gideon stands there and he thinks, oh my goodness, we got an army here that cannot be numbered. And if one comes at me, the only thing I've got to fight them with, the Lord just told me to throw it down and break it. But that was one of his greatest victories that he ever experienced. The Lord hangs on the cross, and in his his humanity, everybody has left me. There's, there's nobody here at the cross fighting for me. There's not one person recorded in the Bible with their backs to the cross, circling the cross with their dukes up ready to defend the Lord. Not one. Death was coming for him. The wrath of God was coming for him. And he hung there by himself. Amen. But it was one of the greatest victories he ever experienced. Amen. So you may feel like a smoking flax as a person, as a family, as a church. But when you're weak like that, that might be when you find your greatest victory. So I hope that that encourages you. When you you get information that, oh, now the next next, uh, assault on the Lord, what's it going to be? What is the next assault on God's people going to be? I don't know, but it's coming. Don't let that discourage you. Because a lot of times, God has to pour water on the altar so we won't take credit for it. Amen. A lot of times God has to reduce our army down to 300 men. So we won't take credit for the victory. Right. And maybe as these assaults come on us and we grow weaker and short, smaller and smaller, and our flame gets short, shorter and shorter and shorter. Maybe then God will do something. And the only result we can say is praise God for delivering us Amen. and we will find our greatest victory.